You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 596, Daisy Jones and the Six, fake bands, real songs, the world of made-up musicians, the Reverend Richard Cole says no to Cardiff, and look out, there's a new album from U2. That's all coming up after Patti Smith and Dancing Barefoot. Make 
what the cause does? Why must we pray screaming? Why must not death be redefined? We shut our eyes, we stretch out our arms, and we're all in the pain of glass. An asphyxiation, a fix on anything, the line of life, the limb of the tree, the hands of he, and the promise that she is blessed among women. Majestically produced by Todd Rundgren, nothing could improve this track. It's perfect in every way from her 1979 album Wave, Patti Smith and Dancing Barefoot. What else can you say, really? I mean, it's, it's I mean, being me, I will say something. But um, yeah, yeah, huge, huge. I mean, most people that know me know what a huge fan I am of mm. Patti Smith. I think she's brilliant. And that is such a great, um, it's a great step on from her, her debut, isn't it, really? From, from, you know, from the sound of horses and all that kind of stuff. I like yeah. the fact that she manages to keep moving. That's the stuff that she's remembered for, the early stuff. But I, I, I say the early stuff, the stuff at the very beginning. But I'd, I do mm. love the sound of that. She very much suited... Not exactly new age, but it's certainly new agey mm. in places, isn't it? And I think it's I think it's really good. I love her. I think she's marvellous. I had the pleasure of seeing her at the Delaware Pavilion in Bexhill. Um, it, it was, I was saying to someone when I was there last night, not that it was a long time ago, but my friend from school was on the door at that gig who was heavily pregnant. And that child is now in year eight at school. So um, so it was a little while ago. But um, yeah, big fan mm. of Patty as always. I hesitate to remind us all of when I saw Patti Smith at the mm. Roundhouse when she was, um, as you young people say, gobbing all over the stage. Oh, yeah, she did um, spit in Bexhill yeah, regrettably, but never mind. No, wish she would rule out the spitting. Um, I, I, I was going to say, if you want to pop something in the poster hut, I'm sure she will give it to <laughs> consideration. Yeah. Yes, I'll let if you're listening, yeah. Patti Smith, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I will be making her aware of my views. Um, welcome to Parish Council, episode 596. I'm Terence. Stackham and it announced this week as the new presenter of the Great British Bake Off. It's just oh, <laughs> no, I got confused again. There, it's Alison Hammond, isn't it? I, I, I always get the two of you mixed up. Anyway, here's Juliet Harris. Does this mean that I can now be terrible at the BAFTAs next year because they'll need a replacement for her when they receive it? I can't believe that she did. She get this off the back of that? It's difficult to believe. Anyway, I wish her well in her presenting of things. I'm very happy not to present things because it means that I can continue to wear the pajamas that I am at the moment. So why do you think I like radio, Seti? It's great. Anyway, hi everyone. Hope you are. Uh, the story of Fleetwood Mac and particularly rumours mm. Fleetwood Mac. Is always been a tale that sounded more like fiction and it's been ready for a tv or yes. movie production well, since the whole affair tangled up the band in the mid-70s i'm guessing that the reason it hasn't happened is because individual members of fleetwood <laughs> mac are notably uh, litigious yes so indeed yeah still simmers on the back burner and it, it, it continues to to do that despite the extraordinary similarities to the mid-70s fleetwood mac mm. story and the new Amazon Prime series, Daisy Jones and the Six. Mm. The first season of 10 episodes has just been released on Amazon Prime. We've watched episode one. And Jules, this is where the, the, the very young members of the band-to-be start their journey to fame in Los Angeles in the late 1960s. Yes, indeed. Based on the novel by Taylor Jenkins Reid, um, who I got right in a quiz the other week. So obviously I was predisposed oh, to like indeed. this on that for that reason alone. On Amazon Prime, like you say, um, an adaptation. We watched the first episode. I will 
will be watching the rest, I think. I very uh. much enjoyed this. Um, yes, it is very obviously Fleetwood Mac, isn't it? And and it, and it's that thing. And we always seem to fall into this, not exactly trap, but we always seem to do this in that we often watch the first episode of things for, mm. for the podcast. So you have to, it's a little bit sort of... Um, I can't remember what the word is, but like sort of not exactly exploratory, but it's like it's sort of established, setting the scene. It, it is it? establishing. It's, 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 it's the establishing. Setup, but yeah. having said that, I mean, the only thing I will get my slight whinge out of the way now. It's not even a whinge. It's just a bit of a, a wry eyebrow. It's very Hollywood in the sense that it explains at the beginning that their biggest album, their biggest hit and, and you know, huge album, which is meant to be Rumours, came out in 1977. And then they did their last gig and they split up and you see someone storming off stage and they but they haven't spoken about this for 20 years until now. So all of these people in it, when you see them being settled down at the beginning, I thought that was very well done, yeah. like talking heads are in a in a documentary. They were all meant to look 20 years older. Some people were better than other people <laughs> at looking 20 years older. Yeah. And the main the, the main people. No, I didn't quite buy that. And no, I, sen- I, I sense that Hollywood thinks that they look twenty years older. All I can say is, is that you know the people from Hollywood are not the same as my friends from Hastings and St. Helens, <laughs> which God love us all. We do look twenty years older than we did than we did as teenagers. Having seen some people that I've known since I was a teenager last night, yeah, we would have looked a bit older than <laughs> the Daisy Jones and the Six, the fictionalized yeah. band that was. But that aside, which was a little bit eye rolly, yes. It is a little bit um it is a little bit like the usual sort of story isn't it i suppose Hmm. it reminded me a bit of the film almost famous which i think is very underrated um with kate hudson in it um that was based on can't remember his name now your man that wrote for rolling stone um oh god i can't can't remember his name for the ride um ride me now i will look that up because that will annoy me but um based on that but um, but yeah, I th- I really liked this. I thought it was as long as you sort of took it for what it was, really, which was nothing particularly hugely groundbreaking. It's the usual rags to riches rock story, isn't it? Mm, um, but yeah. I but having said that, oh Cameron Crowe is who that was, by uh, the way. I wanted to say Russell Crowe, but but but, <laughs> but anyway. Um, oh yes, Cameron. There's something about it that I just thought there's something that's quite compelling about a rock and roll story. I think um, you and I, are big fans of the sort of laurel canyon kind of scene and i mean they they are leaving to go to 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 la at the end of the first episode in their van that bless one of them spent a lot of money on only to be told by the basis that he was leaving to go to college because they had a really good dental plan so um (laughs) so it was i thought the acting was good i enjoyed sam claflin or claflin as the uh, as the lead what is riley's how do you pronounce the second name of riley is it ko kyo I'm not sure. Sh- I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. it's spelled K E O G H. I think or something. Like oh, that would be Keo. Oh, Keo. I yeah. think so. She was excellent. I thought as 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 the t- the t- the titular the Daisy Jones. Um, it was it was you know it, it was like a, it, it was done in the same way as lots of those things are like almost famous and stuff like that. But having said that, I let the story take me along. Um, I I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was it was. It, 
I don't want to say undemanding because it's it's not quite reality TV, is it? It's it's, it's it, there is craft to it. It has been well made. Everyone is incredibly well dressed to the point where um, I subscribe to the sort of youngish woman's website, Refinery Twenty Nine. There are different, and it, you know, they're, 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 they're sort of um, it has famous money diaries on it where they they talk to women about how much money they spend every week, which is always quite revealing. But um, even on that already, there was a piece in the Daily Email saying how to dress like you're in Daisy Jones and the <laughs> So, you know, all all very, you know, it looked it looked gorgeous, yeah, all with the clothes and all that kind of stuff. And of course everyone's really thin, so so they all look great and all that kind of stuff. But um I enjoyed this. I will definitely watch the next ones. Um it was like you say, heavily based on a true story, but um I didn't suffer for that, I don't think. I did buy into the characters and, and you know, and mm. the, the relationship between the brothers and the elder brothers, the the woman that he gets together with, you think, well, that's gonna cause an issue. It was very good at gently setting hairs running i think and yeah. um yeah i thought it was lovely yes i mean the first thing i would like to agree is i felt the show is beautifully and um, no doubt expensively filmed mm. um, apart from anything else oh it, um, there's a lot of money in this isn't there That's oh there is yeah. there's money in this it was lovely seeing your reference to laurel canyon of course mm. lovely seeing los angeles set in the early 1970s to yeah. a soundtrack of carol king's i feel yes the, uh, it was just lovely equally um it was gorgeous seeing the very young Daisy Jones in 1968 popping into the Whiskey A Go Go on Sunset mm. Street to see the Doors and the Birds yes. concert. Yeah, exactly. Which... Of sneaking backstage at the Who, seeing yeah. You know, it was it was like it was really sort of um, but not clunkily done. I think no, I no, no. believed in the universe yeah. enough that that was happening. That would really have been something to have done that in reality. But yeah, I liked. Um, I like Billy Dunn, the character's rather dramatic summary of prospects yes. in late 1960s mid-America in that boys had two options, the mill or the war. And so and that probably wasn't inaccurate, was it? I, mean, it, I thought it, that was very Exactly. Yeah. And um, it, it really was no surprise, um, as you referred to, that many found a third option of buying a, a bus, forming a band and heading yes. to California. I really enjoyed the show. Um of course, it remains to be seen if interest can be maintained through mm. a ten-part season and beyond. If it if it is recommissioned, yes. uh, we have had like yourself carried on, or in your case, wanting mm. to. But Mark, we've watched about three or four of them now, and we're still oh, yeah. hooked in. We're going to watch the lot. So oh, great! So that's oh, that's good to know. I will definitely spend my time on that then. And also because it's on Amazon Prime, you don't have to sit through adverts. So it's forty-seven minutes long, and they're fairly easy to binge, aren't they? Really, yeah, I think. Yeah, you haven't yeah. got a lot to do that evening. It's 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 dead easy just to just to get swept away in this this sort of lovely you know. And it's interesting you say if they go on to do another series. Well, of course, this is based on a book, isn't it? So if they mm. do go on to do another series, that will be new stuff, won't it? Although it I did will. note that Taylor Jenkins Reid is a producer on this. So I suspect oh, that okay. she might. And it'd be interesting to see if she would want to, to write the next series. Well, if but, someone uh, comes to her and says, here's five million dollars, can you write another uh, series? Yeah, she you might. <laughs> I might be inclined so. to do that. Yeah. If it was me, yeah. Overall a chirpy and likeable start uh, to Daisy Jones and the Six. It's available now on Amazon Prime. Um, coming right up, fake bands, real songs. That's next after C. Duncan.
from an album that came out some years ago now. Um, it's interesting and it still feels very contemporary to me, but I'm just not keeping up, Certi. It's you that keeps yeah. me honest on this <laughs> podcast. Um, came out on a label called Fat Cat Records, which is local to me. It's based in Brighton. Um, it, this chap's called C. Duncan. He's a composer. Um, he started off life, bizarrely, as a sort of TV composer, including for the, the BBC One school drama Waterloo Road. He wrote music for that. And that then released this album in 2015 on Fat Cat, which is called Architect. And it was nominated for the Mercury Music Prize, I think. It was, it was sort of seen as being this very sort of... Um, unexpected treat and I've been this I fell upon it again because because of Spotify and the algorithms and all that mm. um I was reminded of how much I like the song four from this album which I think I might have picked years ago for the pod and as a result of which listen to the whole album again and it's a delight it's so it's beautiful sort of airy chamber pop and and just a just a gorgeous gorgeous treat and I was particularly taken by that so um, that was Garden from the album Architect by C. Duncan. Yeah it's absolutely lovely a real psychedelic roller coaster Mm. I think that's splendid. One of the hardest things to get right when filming fictional mm. bands or musicians is the yeah. authenticity of yes. the music they make all too, all too often it falls back on cliche and sounds like yeah. a bunch of session musicians at the end yeah. of a long night working with Lou Reed which <laughs> what, firstly what a burn said Terrence you remain <laughs> you remain you know A4s and secondly they got around that in Daisy Jones and the Six didn't they by mostly having them doing um covers of existing songs Yes, it, yes, yeah. they did, and uh, this, you know, this uh, next section, of course, follows on from Daisy Jones yes. Six Made Up Musicians in a fictional yes. series. I would say, in that context, that uh, Daisy Jones, at least in the early mm. part of the first series, do a first-rate job in the authenticity, as it never really feels like a fake band at all. Uh, this month. Rolling Stone has published Fake Bands, Real Songs, the 50 Best Tunes by Made-Up Musicians. Mm. And by the way, they include Daisy Jones and the Six up at number 30. We thought we'd take a look at our favourites of these uh, fake bands. And at, at number one in the Rolling Stone list, and one of my top scorers, is from the lovely Tom Hanks movie from 1996, That Thing You Do. Yeah, that was gorgeous. I loved that. Yeah, this is the story of the fictional band The Wonders. It's this wonderfully uh, realistic, actually. It totally yes. comes across as a mid-60s billboard hit by a band that has been listening to the mm. Beatles day and night. That that yeah. was uh, really lovely. Yeah, gorgeous. And a great film as well. And so much to approve of with Tom Hanks. I, one day someone will find a dark side to him. But until then, <laughs> exactly. just it was it was beautifully made, that film. And you could tell that everybody involved, a bit like Daisy Jones and the Six, I think, everybody involved in the making of that really loves and understands that music and really gets its its beauty and its power, which is what makes it so good. Because actually, I think we'll probably talk about this when we talk about more bands, it's sincere isn't it? And that's, mm. I think you put it well when you think about everyone, when you talked about everyone sounding like session musicians. There's one thing sort of parodying something or like, you know, managing to, you know, trying to take something off, but your own sincerity in it makes it art, I think. And that's what makes that thing that you do so good because 
I, I get the impression that they mean it. They've genuinely tried to write a really yes. good song rather than saying, oh, let's just write something that sounds like Can't Buy Me Love. I mean, God love the Ruttles, but it is a spoof, isn't it? Yeah, whereas yeah. whereas this is, I just think it's, it's such, a, it's inspired, genuinely inspired yes. in both meanings of that word. I'm, I'm going to talk about a cartoon band in a minute, but you uh, have, have got a splendid example with Damon Albarn. Yes, indeed. The multi-talented polymath that is Damon Albarn, musical polymath, to the point where I said about him ages ago, he's very clearly, you know, probably the most inspired songwriter and musician of his generation, I think. Having said that, I would struggle to live next door to Damon Albarn. When I've seen him <laughs> interview, there's just something about him that makes you think, God, you know, you complain about music being too loud he wouldn't do anything he'd park in front of your drive there's just something about him that i would i would struggle to coexist with however in terms of turning his hand to anything and making it good um I was talking with somebody last night about Blur and how you can kind of find the roots of gorillas in Blur. And I could see why, you know, Blur had, had reached a certain point and he wanted to do something different. Um, and invent a band, invent a band and draw them and draw these characters. Get your mate Dan the Automator involved on the music and just make this new band. And the thing was, when gorillas first came out, I saw a photograph of the, uh, you know, a, 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 I say a photograph, a drawing of them in in the enemy, and thought, oh, for God's sake, this is really gimmicky. Just form another band, Damon. Why are you hiding behind a cartoon Japanese girl? You know, can can you not do something better than this? And then I heard this song on the radio called Clint Eastwood, yeah. and I thought it was absolutely for the slow version, not the garage version that mm. kind of was also mm. the, the Ed Case remix, but the the original version mm. that is is sort of laced with kind of menace and this inner portent and all that kind of stuff. And they at the end, Stephen Matt went, and that's Gorillas and Clint Eastwood, and I just thought, oh my god! And the thing that makes it so good is that the music is genuinely brilliant. And because you've got this kind of blank slate, the guess that Damon Albarn gets involved in this, and and again, it makes you think, well, it must be good because Bobby Womack coming in on Stylo before he, before, before he passed away from the album Plastic Beach, I think it was Dorian Linsky, the writer that put it at the time, there he is, there comes Bobby Womack sounding like God two minutes yeah. in to that song. All of these people attracted to the, to the project because the music is so good. And I, I genuinely think that that's a good example. We were saying, we were saying earlier about, you know, the sincerity of something. A, a clever conceit to have a cartoon band, but gorillas have been going for you know 22, 23 oh, years now, still Lord. releasing. St- yeah, that that's. I think Clint Eastwood came out in two thousand and one. Wow. Um, Sick form college when I when that was on the radio. I was still living in Hastings in our old house, so I I really think that the longevity of it is the fact that they have had some time out, but he has continued to write music that's genuinely really good. Helped, of course, by the fact that Blur have not really, uh, you know, they, they released Think Tank and then they released The Magic Whip, but they've, you know, they've only released two albums in the last 20 years. So, so helped by the fact that Gorillaz started as a signed project and then became as, as much as any project can be Damon Albarn's main project because he does so much they were his main project and so yeah I think that a fictional band yet somehow people just you know people aren't particularly bothered about the fact that you know yeah. when you go and see them it's not the cartoon because the music is outstanding 
I'm going to say something totally sacrilegious. Mm. I prefer gorillas to blur. I knew you were going to say that. Mm. It's fine. I think it's a shame they headlined Glastonbury in I think 2010, and it was a shame because it came a little bit too soon for them. I think mm. it was a little bit ponderous for the first kind of half an hour to now. They headlined on the Friday night, and then they really got going. They were brilliant. I'd love to see gorillas have another swing at headlining mm. Glastonbury. I think they'd be great. At number 18 on the Rolling Stone list is one of the greatest examples of bubblegum pop in the 1960s. Mm. The Arches were a TV cartoon group who were heavily yes. influenced, shall we say, by the monkeys, who yes. themselves were influenced <laughs> in inverted commas by the Beatles. Yes. Um, the Arches single, Sugar Sugar, reached number one in the UK and on Billboard and was a huge hit all around the world. Mm. Um a real song by a fake band. And you heard it everywhere in the summer of 69. I was a young lad. Mm. And it was joyous to hear it on the radio. I mean, yes, it's lightweight and nonsensical, but totally earwormy and sing-alongable. It's perfect pop. It doesn't... It don't, I don't think pop really gets any better than this. I, it's just so... Like you say, it's just earwormable. I remember having an argument with a friend of mine as to whether or not it was novelty pop. And of course it is. And she was like, I just think of that as bubblegum crap. And I was like, yeah, but it's not bubblegum crap, is it? Because the song's really good. And again, this harks back to Gorillaz. You know, it doesn't matter if it's quite unquite novelty, if the song is really, really good. And yes, the arches, let's face it, a, a different proper proposition to Gorillaz in that, you know, I don't know if there is a best of Gorillaz or not, but they could feasibly be, you know, a sort of a box set of Gorillaz albums. And, you know, they're, they're sort of seen as, you know, fairly serious. I don't think there's a box set of the arches albums, you no. know, it's not, it's not, you know, they weren't a serious proposition in that sense. But this song will live forever. Everyone will, you know, you still hear it on adverts. Sometimes you still hear it. Used. I often think that that's, that's the sign of a longevity of a song. You know, we it, it gets used on things, doesn't it? It gets used, used on TV and film and not just to, to evoke a period, but like it still sounds really fresh to me. It doesn't sound like it's aged at all. I think it's, it's grand. It's a great choice. The the connection between Gorillaz and the Arches for me would be that both sound great on the radio. Yes, and absolutely agreed. You know, that's how you, you, you make a hit. Um, your second choice, it actually is is uh, what could be, and I say, I don't know why bubblegum pop is sort of a, a, a throwaway mm. insult. I love bubblegum pop. And yes, that's what you, you've got for your, your next example. Yes. And again, a nice um, a nice sort of um, move on from uh, uh, Sugar Sugar by the Arches in that and this lot were also inspired by Archie Comics, the um, mm. the sort of the 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 slightly bubblegum comic sort of thing. Um, I first so it's Josie and the Pussycats that started off in, in Archie Comics, like I say. Mm. Um, there was a film made in two thousand and one, and I watched this as a teenager with my best friend at the time, who was a couple of years younger than me. But we were obsessed with music, and we were in a band which didn't really exist. If you're looking back on it, but we did used to play in my bedroom sometimes, and um. And we were just obsessed with the idea, particularly of girl bands as well. They were really important to us. We really got into the idea that, you know, you could have women in a band, and particularly in a pop band. And I remember, I think we hired Josie and the Pussycats, the film, on VHS from the corner shop around the corner from where mm. I lived and watched it on a Saturday night. And we just absolutely loved it. We thought it was so great. Mm. And it says here in the Rolling Stone thing, 
Um, uh, Carrie Elfant and Deborah Kaplan's live action take on the Archie comics mainstay was dismissed in 2001, but later reclaimed as a cult classic. Well, some of us loved it all along for both its cutting satire and a fantastic collection of songs for Josie Melody and Valerie to play. And uh, Adam Schleisinger's got a, another great one here. Um, uh, Pretend to be nice was in that, which was very much inspired by Fountains of Wayne. Um, who, yes, who were very um, Stacey's mom, I think is what they're most famous for but again slightly sort of throwaway kind of kind of bubblegum pop but um three small words um is is great it's the song here that's picked as number four and interestingly um they were inspired so so the 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 uh, actors in it some of them were, were replaced by singers and the singing voice on this is a woman called Kay Hanley who was in a band called Letters to Cleo who I suspect most people might not have heard of, but again, very much around that time. Letters to Claire were much loved, again, by me and, me and my friends, because they were known as the Buffy band. Their music oh. played a lot in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I think they might possibly, I'm just trying to remember this, um, of, of sort of exactly how it went, but I seem to think that they there were a couple of bands in Buffy who were bands on screen, but they were sort of um they were they were backed by real life bands that were pretending to be fictional bands, I think. So actually it was very um they were very much the go-to soundtrack band of the sort of early noughties. They they soundtrack the craft as well. So again, very evocative of a certain era for me. And I hate the fact that stuff involving women gets dismissed uh, compared to other things. I, I would recommend that if you like this sort of thing, Satine and bubblegum pop and that sort of thing, that you dig out uh, Josie and the Pussycats, the film, because I enjoyed it very much. That's a good good recommendation. Number 22 on the Rolling Stone list, The Partridge Family, yet another Mm. American TV series based quite heavily on the monkeys. Yes. Each week, the family gets into some sort of scrape that ends up with one of the precocious children saving the day. Yes. The band get to appear at some local town hall. But it's the lead singer I, I, I come to enthuse about, David Cassidy, Mm. It's often written off as a teen idol for soppy 1970s girls. But he was great with a fantastic voice and a superb run of singles from 1971 to 76. Forget everything after after 1976, but uh, Cherish, Could It Be Forever, How Can I Be Sure, Mm. Daydream of Tomorrow, all fantastic singles, all immaculately produced. Highly underrated David Cassidy. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that's that's really well put. Um, yeah, he's made some really good records, mm. despite the fact that he's seen as being, like you say, a bit naff, a bit sort of yeah. a bit a bit that that of its time. He made some really good pop records, so I I agree in praise of David Cassidy. <laughs> Next up, the Reverend Richard Coles cancels his rail ticket to Cardiff, mm-hmm. and look out. It's a new album from you too. <laughs> Quick, hide <laughs> yourself. That's right. Right after this new single, listen out for the wonderfully berserk guitar break at the end. This is Chippewa <laughs> Wrestling. I move out to the inside. I move in out of space. I get out of your badlands and I finally escape. I don't need you no more I don't need you no more I don't need you no more 
single that um, they say that they're heavily influenced by the clash and that's no bad thing yeah this is a brand new single taken from their upcoming album plus ultra chappaqua wrestling and need you no more i very much enjoy that thank you for keeping me relevant city i didn't know that it's great I remember when the BBC forced many of the station uh, five lives radio shows to move to Salford for whatever Mm. reasons, diversity, creating sectors outside London and so on. Uh, It it led to some peculiar situations, including the presenter Richard Bacon commuting daily from London to Salford in Manchester and the particularly daft and expensive idea to bring a guest up from London each Friday to Mm. contribute to a 20-minute film review slot, two and a half hours he spent from London to Manchester on the train, 20-minute slot on the Richard Bacon show, two and a half hours back to London on the train. And I was reminded of of that debacle this week when we learned that the BBC is now shoveling programmes, presenters and staff to Cardiff, Mm. including the Radio 4 show, Saturday Live. This is not an easy 
commute for presenter Richard Coles. He lives in East Sussex, mm. so he has decided to give it up. Why not just leave well alone, Jules? Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? As a resident of East Sussex, I wouldn't fancy commuting no. to Cardiff very much either. Having said that, though, and I was sort of chewing this over with somebody the other day who's also a very big Radio 4 supporter like me. Um, it, it, so but there's a similar situation with Kirsty Lang, who's the not so much as she's being moved, but Kirsty Lang, who has been the presenter of Front Row for, I think, about... 19 years, I think I read. She's been presenting right. Front Row for a very long time. Is now presenting, has left Front Row and is now presenting the Round Britain quiz, um, oh, which yes. I have two friends that are panellists on that. So they, they very much like her. So they're mm. delighted by that, which is good. But um, she bemoaned in the garden the other day the fact that she wasn't allowed to acknowledge she was going and to say goodbye to, oh, to listeners. Yeah. Yeah. And I have some sympathy, but I, I, there's just something about Richard Coles. And I, I do have approval of of uh, Reverend Richard Coles. And he called him yeah. Sir Richard Coles for a minute. Apologies. But um, <laughs> but yes, I do. I do like him and I'm glad he's there. There's always with him and some people like him. Mm. There's always a little bit of self-regard that slightly puts <laughs> me off. And I don't This sounds mean and I don't mean it. There's a little bit sort of, oh, well, of course, I've been presenting this program for 12 years. Mm. Yeah. And I was I was saying I was saying to my girlfriend on Saturday morning, you know, I sat because we both said, you know, we very much enjoy Saturday Live. We were listening to it at the time when we were discussing it. And mm. we said, yeah, it's really good. And it's and it's done well. But then. I remember Saturday Live existing before Richard Coles was on it. I was like, I remember Home Truths with with you know with the late John Peel and 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 the fact that Saturday Live was a sort of slightly cobbled together replacement for that that went on to very much grow into itself and be very good. And part of me thinks, you know, there's a little bit sort of oh well, of course, oh you know that I do you think that you're bigger than the program. Having said that, though, I will put that aside. I I do mm-hmm. occasionally find himself oh, take your point, yeah, yeah. But having said that, if you strip that away. The idea that, you know, someone and, and again, and actually, I do not mean this with any disrespect at all to Richard Coles. I have quite the opposite. I mean, it in support. He's not young. Is I mean, part of me, the sort of equalities lawyer in me is thinking, is this actually legal to mm. expect or, you know, to expect someone to relug? He's 61 years old. Um, Is this? I mean, so I suspect that like all major sort of corporations, BBC will have a clause in its contract saying, you know, you can be your your place mm. of work can be relocated geographically if it suits the needs of the business. And I do understand. And in a way, the BBC is to be admired for taking steps to try and make itself less London centric. And I do I do appreciate what they're trying to do there. And that is a good thing. Although part of me thinks, well, yeah, but had you not cut local radio to the quick, as we talked about the other week, had you not cut your local broadcasting massively down maybe you could have used those studios that why could they not have done this from bbc sussex which is which is in i walk past their 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 office um to brighton station when i get the bus you know Mm. is there any reason why it has to be all the way in cardiff is it you know, there might be discrimination things here. You know, is it is it per, you know is it okay to expect a sixty one year old man to completely relocate and to a diff- Let's not forget a different country. Wales is a different mm. country. You know, is it reasonable? I don't think it is. I mean, part of me then thinks. Were they using it? When we talked about Roger Bolton and feedback and, and that mm, stuff a, yeah, a few months ago, one. 
were they using this as an excuse should they not just have been honest and said look Richard we think you're really good but we think that 12 years of you do sit you doing Saturday Live is, is probably is probably enough it might be there's then a debate to be had well is it if it's broke then don't fix it versus yes but lots of these people and again the people at Radio 2 that we've talked about are these people to some extent bed blocking um, younger talent being able to come through and that but again I would flip back to yeah but where is younger talent going to come through if you're shutting all the local radio lots of radio and 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 curtailing the um the sort of the trainee scheme lots of uh, of, you know bbc radio four presenters um i know she's recently left but i remember fee glover talking about how she joined on one of the sort of trainee cub reporter schemes lots of the five live people joined like that and sort of started off working for um, and jane garvey as well talking about how she started off on three different bbc local radio stations which then developed her you know maybe you wouldn't be needing to do this guys if you were actually developing talent elsewhere in your corporation it seems uh, you know, I do. I'm a little bit eye rolly about aspects of certain presenters going, but they didn't let me say goodbye. Yeah, but to some extent, it's not about you. But equally, mm-hmm. I do. I, I suppose if you emotionally invest in in doing radio, like Kirsty Lang, I have sympathy for that. And you know, to be doing the same job for 19 years, where you form a connection with listeners, mm-hmm. and then not even be able to say goodbye. Um, although I do remember the BBC Radio Four newsreaders. There were two or three that were made um, that were made redundant, and. I can't remember one of them. I think it was Alice Arnold said a little piece of goodbye at the end of her last sort of broadcast Mm. that she read. And I think it was Charlotte Green said nothing. And they said, why didn't you say anything? And she said, I'm there to read the news. And now I'm not reading the news. Mm. And actually, Mm. I really admired that in terms. I know it's a little different, I suppose, to fronting a programme. But I kind of admire taking yourself out of the equation, but on a sort of a, on a kind of a, just a basic employment thing, I don't think it's reasonable to relocate a 61 year old man to Cardiff. If you don't want him to do that program anymore, just say and have that difficult conversation. This smacks a little bit of, oh, well, he probably won't go to Cardiff. So, so, you know, Mm. uh, yeah, it, it leaves a bad taste. I suppose in this instance, we can't blame Tim Pepsi Davy. Um, <laughs> what, a, what a great description, yes, indeed. Former mm. Conservative Councillor Tim yeah. Davy, yes. But it's not been handled well, though no. your point is very well made that sometimes presenters do get a bit overwhelmed with mm. their selves when it's the show that is the star, if you, if you, yes, if you like. Yes, exactly. I think on on the broader picture. Oh, and of course the other. I was just going to quickly say as well. Mm. I think quite often the BBC is paranoid about this sort of thing that the yeah. presenter. And I mean, I can't imagine the Reverend Richard Coles going off piste. But I think they're no. terrified that people are going to do it like a Danny Baker yes. who spent well, two that, hours railing ranting. against the yes. Well, that, well, that's why that's why Ken Bruce was taken yeah. off air fairly sure. early on. I think. Yeah. And 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 I do. Having said that, as much as I admire Danny Baker, and that was you know pretty coarse. Mm. equally it's pretty awful isn't it so i it can was, get yeah. why the bbc i uh, get why they would want to avoid that i, do I have listened to a little bit of that back it came up on some sort of memory recently yeah and i listened to the, the first 20 25 minutes with him and amy lemay and i think oh, yes. Leonard was there. and um why somebody didn't come in and just pull, pull the plug, the plug yeah, i have exactly. no idea well that that kind of says slightly good things about the bbc and it is always very good at criticizing itself um but it gets like you say it does tie itself up in knots mm. but yeah i don't understand 
understand why nobody took mm. nobody you know there wasn't a power cut in the studio no, exactly yeah I think few guests will want to follow that film reviewer craziness of the Salford commute and travel all the way to yes. Cardiff for a 10 minute interview and the aspect I don't quite understand, and and you you sort of referred to it there with with the um, the studio in Brighton. Yes. If they interview guests down the line from mm. London when they move to Cardiff, if they interview guests down the line from London, it's even more ridiculous, and w- would lead to the question: Why couldn't Richard Coles co-present from London, even if ludicrously the p- production team is in Cardiff? I, I think everyone agree. needs to get over themselves. It, Yes, in a digital in a digital age, anyone can be anywhere. But I, I'm sorry, everybody that you know lives in, in Carlisle or whatever. But the heart of politics, broadcasting, and media, whether we like it or not, is in London. And does the listener in Aberdeen or Carlisle, mm. or poor people of colour, care if the show is being produced in Cardiff, Salford, or London? I don't think they do. No, I agree. Um, I, I, I think that you say, particularly as well, the COVID world has changed. The post-COVID mm. world has changed, hasn't it, really? And people are now used to, um, like you say, going down the line as a way of life. I yes. mean, look at people, you know, everyone had to broadcast from home. Lauren Laverne broadcasted from home early on in, in the pandemic to the point where she said that she was doing Desert Island Discs and she said there was this kind of moment where she was interviewing someone. Admittedly, that was pre-record, but she was interviewing someone and she said she had to basically, she had her hand around her dog's neck to stop the dog from, like, <laughs> running around and she said with one hand she was holding the dog. She was conducting an interview and with the other hand she was texting her husband saying, can you come and grab the dog so so you know it's and and people are you know are, are admittedly there's less there's probably slightly less of a tolerance for the kind of chaotic scenes of you know broadcasting and 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 hmm. doing stuff down the line i remember watching um i think it was saturday kitchen or something on in like april or may 2020 when they were trying to interview melga doik and um her dog crashed into the into the patio doors whilst trying to t- chase a squirrel obviously we're not quite there now people are expecting things i think to be done properly again as much as i enjoy the amateurism of that but um but yeah like you say everyone there's so much remote working that goes on now and with technology like it is would people even know probably not yours i was just going to say exactly that mm. point that but particularly in an interview show like saturday live mm. um unless the presenters refer to it you you wouldn't know at all whether they're from in the studio down the line or in their spare bedroom you really know exactly i completely agree i think it's i think it seems a bit daft i'm always a little wary when bands reimagine their earlier songs and re-record them with a twist uh the cure did it todd rundgren's done it and they both worked out well so how would it be for you too out this week you two songs of surrender it's 40 songs renewed if you like what's the outcome here jules delight uh, disaster or somewhere in between well the fact that i was i was alarmed by the fact that it was meant to complement bono's recent memoir surrender yeah. 40 songs one story um i found this a little bit odd i must say um i did i did flick through and listen to this um i have a bit of a not exactly fraught relationship with the musical beauty that's overstating it but there are 
I tend to like you two when they go a bit weird. That is my my favourite brand of you two. I was talking telling something about this. So like, so which albums do you like? And I said, well, I understand that objectively, the Joshua Tree is a great album, and you know, Unforgettable Fire and stuff like that. The 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 stuff that I enjoy that that I actively enjoy by you two. Is there is their 90s stuff? I really, really love Actung Baby. I've got really into that oh, album yes, recently. And we talked about, you know, Zoo TV and the Lemon Tour. And uh, long-term listeners will know that I absolutely love pop by U2, particularly Discotech. Um, I love them when they go really strange. And actually, to be fair, they went a bit more normal again for um, All That You Can't Believe Behind. And I really liked that as well. And I still do occasionally listen to that album. So I, it appealed to me. Someone's like, well, they've gone a bit old again that I was talking about. I was like, oh, good but i don't know i'd quite like new odd music from you two i think i i i there were a few numbers on this that i thought benefited from this but mostly it felt like a bit of a retread to me i i could be wrong i didn't listen to it in a very long long sort of past so maybe i need more time with it but um it's an interesting idea i suppose um but not i i, I wasn't awfully gone on it i must say now, we need to bear in mind, my statistics are as follows. Go on. Plays for you 2 on Spotify, zero. Um, I own yes. no singles <laughs> or albums right, okay. by you 2 So yes. I, I th- that led me to think, uh-oh, uh, b- before listening to this yes. new album, I really, really like it. Oh, really? Okay, Even if unexpectedly. Well, say it to me then. Yeah, yeah. Well, I particularly focused on the songs I knew from the 40 that they've right. reworked. Streets of No Name, uh, Beautiful Day. A, Be- a Beautiful Day, I thought rework sounds like a lovely Coldplay song. Mm, um, okay. I quite liked Never- the original, actually. I'll take that mm. back. Mm. Uh, in... I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I thought Bono's voice is mixed forward and just sounds really great along with the okay. acoustic instruments. My favourite track on this album, this this rework, is I Will Follow. And mm. it sounds fabulous stripped down. It, it, I just think overall, these songs sound really good to me without the... It's it's the pomp and the kitchen sink production that generally puts me off. The bombast. Mm, yes, absolutely. So, I do I, without with all of that, I I really I don't know whether I would sit down and um or in the car just play mm. out the full forty songs. But picking yes. out in particular the songs that I knew as having been hit singles, frankly, I yes. really like the new treatment because. As I say, it was a bit away from that stadium, huge sort of here we are, yes. you two, and all the, yes. you know, all the flames and the lights and whatever. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Okay, fair enough. Well, in which case, I'm willing to give that. A, I'll, I'll give it a second go on that basis. I think that's a very well put, and that's why I like you, weird you two. I think because mm. actually, it's a little bit less tub thumping. Although I think Acting Baby is the best example of the stadium experience done in a way that is not annoying because there's some quite interesting things on it. But yeah, I I, I will give it. I'll give it another go, Sati. Mm. You've persuaded me to try yeah. it again. I think. Well, this is U2 Songs of Surrender, and it's it's out now in physical product and on streaming services. Mm. Thanks very much for listening this week. Good to have I, you there. I, I Yeah, I couldn't have put it better myself. Thank you for being with us. Very much 
not being forced to broadcast from Cardiff <laughs> is Juliet with her radio shows. Indeed, from my spare bedroom, which is where this is coming from. Indeed, all of my audio content comes from brilliantly. Um, yes, I do two shows. Um, I do both for Noisebox Radio, a lovely online station, Thursday evenings or Tuesday lunchtimes or whenever on Mixcloud. I do a show called Lost for Words, which is instrumentals of all and no genres with me telling you a bit about them. Um, I also do a show called Smooth Sailing from 7 to 9pm on Sunday evenings which is Yacht Rock, M-O-R A-O-R, Easy Listening etc and if you want to hear all these shows again you can go on to uh, Mixcloud.com and search for Noisebox Radio Looking at your closing choice of music i suspect you've been going to one of your pop concerts again i have indeed as a crazed youth been attending a a concert a a a a recital a performance (laughs) however you wish to put it at the delaware my my favorite Uh, live venue of choice which gets some cracking acts it has to be said i and some friends attended you know as my friend put it a youth club for those of us that are no longer youths (laughs) to uh, see the band suede perform last evening a saturday night although they did not perform saturday night which we were slightly surprised by but anyway um very much enjoyed them at the dead of war um promoting a new album but doing some classics and some rarities as well brett anderson a man possessed as always as the front person um dripping with sweat sort of three songs in um very much enjoyed and had a lovely time with friends old and new and uh they uh, they encore they did a single song encore and my friend said what do you think it will be and i said surely it will be this and and it was and everyone sang along um so for for all of my fellow beautiful ones last night to see what diversity uh, we, we very much enjoyed this this is from the album coming up beautiful ones by Swain.
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. Sugar, sugar.